Today we have come to the end of a journey, going through Paul's uh, letter to the church body at Colossae. Um, it, it, it's not a long letter, it's only four chapters long, uh, but, um, but I think we've seen over the, uh, the past couple months that uh, this letter is, is nonetheless filled with majestic proclamations about who Jesus is, uh, his work within his people, along with some firm challenges for those who've experienced Jesus' work within themselves. Um, so just kind of by way of review, and, and, and the reason I want to do this is because I, I just think it's great to kind of put all of these back to back and kind of be hit over the head with, man, all these statements that, that Paul makes about Jesus. But uh, Paul stated that Jesus is the image of God himself. Um, by Jesus, all things were created. Through Jesus, uh, all things are held together. He is the head of the church. It's through him that we are reconciled to God. And, and his reconciliation is not just for the Jews, as we talked about. It's for Gentiles as well. Um, Paul talked about our body of flesh being circumcised and put to death in Jesus uh, we've been raised to new life in Jesus. Our debt due to sin has been forgiven in Jesus. We've been given victory through Jesus. I mean, these are some incredible truths that, uh, that Paul communicates to us. And then in light of those truths, he gives really what I think is a succinctly stated challenge in chapter 2, verse 6, when Paul says, walk in him. Walk in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And, and, and Paul went on to expand what that means. And, and, and we, we talked about this last week especially. He said things like, um, seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. Um, put to death the earthly things within you. Things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness. He said to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. He said to put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He said uh, we should bear with one another. We should forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. All of those things are included in what it means to walk in Jesus. Now, uh, if you remember uh, the end of the sermon last week, we kind of left off without, really without any specific application points. I did look ahead and say, hey, those are coming today, where Paul gives us some specifics. But, um, but I also challenged us last week to, to do the work ourselves, to, to consider our own individual lives, inclinations, our, our own contexts, and discern what it looks like to walk in Jesus by putting on or putting off certain things in our own lives. And so, so I hope we took time to do that this past week. Um, if not, there's always time to do that moving forward. Um, but today we get to a few of the universal applications that, that I said would be coming, that Paul talks about at the end of chapter 3 and then at the beginning of chapter 4. 
Paul highlights what it looks like to walk in Christ in four, four specific uh, relationships in our lives. So he talked about husbands and wives. What does it look like to walk in Christ in the husband-wife relationship? He talked about uh, parents and children. He talked about servants and masters. He talks about uh, church members or those within the church and those outside the church. So we're going to take our time. We're going to walk through uh, each one of those for this morning. I would encourage you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. And we'll see what Paul has to say about each of those four relationships. So we will pick it up this morning in verse 18. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says this. He's speaking to to husbands and wives first. He says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, now one of the things uh, that we have to understand about Paul's words here is, is that Paul's words are, uh, they were radical in that Greco-Roman culture of that time. Um, and, and it's going to apply to each of the relationships that Paul addresses, but, but husbands and wives um, along with that. Husbands and wives at, at that time were, were definitely not held to the same standard. They just weren't. That, that's the reality of that context. But what we see here is that both are addressed. Both are addressed equally as, as partners who are to relate to one another in the name of Jesus. Both are addressed equally in what it means to walk in Jesus in that relationship. So wives were charged with submitting to their husbands. Husbands were charged with loving and not being harsh with their wives. Now, uh, I was going to say a few weeks ago, I guess it's almost been two months ago now that uh, when Pastor Tim uh, spoke, he spoke on the topic of submission, and so we've spent some time there recently. Um, uh, but, as, but as Paul makes clear in Ephesians chapter 5, where he kind of expands on, on this relationship specifically a bit, um, this call to submission is not one that is grounded in inferiority. Um, it is not. That, that is not suggested anywhere in the Bible. Instead, this charge comes from the parallel between husbands and wives and the relationship of, of Christ and the church. That's where this comes from. So as the church is to submit itself to the leading, to the direction of Jesus. So wives are charged to submit themselves to the leading and direction of their husbands. And and both of those, husband, wives, Jesus and the church, both of those are reflective of the uh, submission which Jesus, the Son of God, shows to God the Father. So both of those even come from the relationship within the Trinity. And those relationships are not built upon inferiority and grasping for power. You cannot define the Trinity in those ways. Uh, instead, uh, the, it, it's about humility. It's about loving, loving within each person of the Trinity. And so we cannot take those and apply that to the human, human wife relationship and make it about power and make it about inferiority, because it's not. 
the model for it does not contain that, and so the reflection of it should not either. So as wives, and, and this doesn't say women, this is not all women to all men, but as wives live out the new self, as they walk in Christ, they are, they are uh, charged with submitting to their husbands and, and, and in so doing will proclaim the love of God. Because remember, it comes from the Trinity. That is the example set for it. And then husbands are charged with loving our wives. We are charged with loving our wives just as Christ loved the church. So the love that uh, Paul speaks of here, um, it's, not the, it's not the erotic love seen in uh, physical passion. It's not the, the phileo friendship love that uh, is seen in the sharing of life experiences. Both of those are, are good things within a marriage, but, but uh, uh, what Paul talks about here, the love mentioned here is the agape love seen in personal sacrifice. We as husbands live out the new self as we give ourselves up for our wives like Christ did for the church, as Paul says also in Ephesians chapter 5. So when we think about Jesus in the church, we're told that Jesus gave himself up for her to sanctify her, to, to cleanse her, to, to remove spot and wrinkle, to, um, uh, to make her holy make her without blemish. Now, now we as human husbands obviously cannot do those specific things for our wives. Only Christ can do that. But we can love her with the same love that functions for her own good. Jesus gave of himself for the good of the church, for the good of his bride, and we as husbands are called to sacrifice ourselves and love our wives for their own good as well. Um, I, uh, many of us have, have heard the story from uh, uh, Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestles with God. Remember that story? He wrestled with God all night. Um, uh, let me tell you, I felt like uh, I was in a boxing match with God over this passage. Um, not physically, but metaphorically, of course. But uh, um, I, I found myself frustrated with something the other day, and my first reaction was to place the blame on Megan. Very loving thing to do, right? Um, to place it on her. And, 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 and during a, a, a lunchtime together, I, I shared my frustrations with her. I cast her as the guilty party. And, and I guess I would say I wasn't harsh and unloving in the tone of my words, um, and I checked with Megan, and she didn't dispute that. But the message of my words, nonetheless, would have been harsh and unloving. Um, I, I was essentially refusing to sacrifice myself in that situation. Well, I went back to, uh, back to my office after lunch, sat down to work on the sermon. Wouldn't you know it? Come across this passage. And just felt like God took a right jab and just man, right between the eyes, right? Here I am preparing to preach about husbands loving their wives, and it's like, oh, come on, you idiot. Like, what did you just do over lunch? Um, man, uh, you know, in my, in my walk with Christ, I'm called to put on com compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, those things that Paul talked about. 
And in my relationship with Megan specifically, those things are to show themselves through loving sacrifice as Christ loved the church. So, I mean, in God's grace, I was able to go home later and seek forgiveness for, for that failure. Uh, but this, this calling upon husbands and wives both, if we can hold both now, uh, this calling upon us as husbands and wives, it, it, it's not an easy one to live out. It's not one that's always coming naturally to us. But it's one that we are empowered to live out as those who've been raised with Christ. Right? We're called to walk in Christ because of his work within us. And so because of that, we, we ought to continually be striving to walk in Christ and for husbands and wives specifically to walk as Paul mentions here. So that's, that's the first relationship. The second one that Paul addresses is between children and fathers. So look with me at verse 20. He says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So children, children first. It's mentioned first. Uh, Paul has a message for you today, children. Uh, and it is both a challenge and an encouragement. It's a two-sided message. The challenge is that you're called to walk in Christ by obeying your parents. Walk in Christ by obeying your parents. And the reason it's a challenge is because that can be difficult, can't it? And all of us who are adults can think back to our own times living in our parents' household. That can be a difficult thing to do. If it were easy, Paul would not need to address it here. Uh, but he does. And, and, and you know, just, just, like the, uh, just like the husband-wife relationship is reflective of the Trinity and the relationships there, um, so is this one, this relationship uh, of uh, obedience to parents. You, you're called to obey your parents as Jesus obeyed his heavenly Father. Jesus is the example in this. And, and I, when, I, when I think about that, I'm immediately taken to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. That scene where Jesus was faced with a very difficult situation, his upcoming arrest, trial, and, and crucifixion. His heavenly Father was asking him to do something that he knew. And he knew it would be difficult, that it would be humiliating, that it would be painful. But even in the midst of that, Jesus is still able to pray, not my will, not, not what I want, but your will. Heavenly Father, what you want. And, and that, that scene is recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke in each of their Gospels. And in all three accounts, there's a detail mentioned there that I, that I think is very, very powerful. All three Gospel writers make sure to point out that Jesus began that prayer by saying, Father. When he prayed that prayer, he was addressing God as his heavenly Father. So it's not just, not my will, but your will be done. It's Father, not my will, but your will be done. The reason Jesus went through with, with the crucifixion and everything surrounding that is in part because of his love for you and me. There's no question about that. But it was also because he was being obedient to his heavenly Father. There is that dynamic to it that we cannot deny. Uh, 
So, so children, your obedience to your parents is a powerful reflection of Jesus' obedience to his own heavenly Father. And that's where the encouragement comes in, I think. The challenge is to, to walk in obedience. The encouragement is, is that. You can be encouraged to know that your obedience to your parents is, is incredibly pleasing to God, as Paul says here. Obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. And it's pleasing because it's that reflection of the Trinity, the relationships within the Trinity. Jesus submitting himself to his heavenly Father. I would say it's not a stretch to say that God smiles upon the obedience of children to their parents. And then the other side of that is parents... Fathers especially, there's a, there's a message for us here too. Now, now there's debate on whether uh, fathers in this passage should be read as applying to both parents. And, and some would say that the Greek word here can be translated as parents, as opposed to just saying fathers. And what Paul writes most definitely applies to mothers and fathers. So, so we can, uh, 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 both parties can take this as a challenge but also at the same time, I do think Paul's words are, are especially poignant to fathers who, who might be the ones to more likely provoke our children. I'm not saying that's always the case, but, but I think that might be more likely the case. And so, so we are called to walk in Christ in our relationship with our children by not provoking them. Um, and, and other translations would say uh, not embittering or not exasperating um, not aggravating our children. And, and there's quite a few ways that, that we can do that. We can provoke our, our kids. Uh, we, we can provoke them through continual criticism. That might be one way that we provoke them. Um, we, we can provoke them through being overly strict. We can provoke them through being overly lenient as well. Um, we can provoke them through being inconsistent um, in our expectations. Uh, we can provoke them through being emotionally distant with them. Um, and you know, I, I said earlier, felt like I was in that boxing match with God. I was kind of still reeling from that right jab when I got to this part and just found a left jab coming <laughs> right at me as well. Like, you know, I, I, I deeply love my kids, but, but how often can I provoke them? through my actions, not even that I mean to, but, but just do at times. And, and, it, and it's frustrating because there's times where I like sense that I'm doing it and I still can't put the brakes on that. Um, you know, as, as fathers and mothers who are, who are walking with God, we, we are called to not provoke our children in our relationship with them. And, and the great thing is, by the grace of God, we are given the ability to carry that out. We're given the wisdom needed to carry that out. It doesn't mean that we're going to do it flawlessly every time, but God will provide what is needed for us to walk with him in that manner. The third relationship Paul speaks of is, um, is servants and masters. So follow along with me, verse 22. He says, Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, 
fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now, uh, without spending too much time on this, I do want to address the fact that, that many people have used passages like this to say that the Bible defends slavery. And, and that argument can be used not just today, but, but it's been used back through uh, history as well. But I, I think anyone seeking the truth of the situation can't deny a number of things. One is that nowhere in the Bible is slavery commanded. It is not commanded anywhere in Scripture. Um, two, throughout history um, and across numerous cultures, Christians have by far and away uh, been the primary ones leading the abolition of slavery in our world. And, and yes, there have been some that have gone off course in, in this area. But the overwhelming testimony is that God's people, when rightly walking with God, undermine slavery and, and seek to eliminate even slavery. And then three, ju just like Paul's words to husbands and wives and parents and children would have been radical in that Greco-Roman culture, these words are radical as well. We may not hear them as radical because we live in quite a different context, but they were very radical at that time. And radical in a good way, which, which I think you'll see. Um, now, now because, because Paul, when he's talking about bond servants there, he, he's probably got um, household indentured servants in mind. And because that's what he's talking about, and, and because our context today is one in which slavery is rightly illegal, um, I, I think that we can, can take these words from Paul and apply them to what would be the most common parallel in our context, which would be the employer-employee relationship. So what Paul says to servants, or, or we could say employees, is that they are to be obedient to those over them, but not just when they're being observed. So rather, everything that they do ought to be done as for the Lord, because Paul says there will be an inheritance from God. And, and just as the person of integrity will receive an inheritance, he also says the wrongdoer will be paid back for their actions. So I, I think we have to ask ourselves, those of us who are employees, does our work ethic change when our boss or our supervisor is in the room? Is there a difference in what our work ethic looks like in, in the situation where they're not in the room? And, and if so, we can't say that we are walking with Christ in that manner, because to walk in Christ is to be a person of integrity no matter who is or isn't watching, whether the boss is or isn't there. And then along with integrity, you know, Paul asks us, are, are we doing our work as if we are working for God rather than working for our boss or our supervisor, whoever it might be? Um, 
And, and it, doesn't matter if we're, it doesn't matter if we're sweeping the floor, filing papers, hammering a nail, uh, coding computer software, delivering newspapers. I mean, it, it does not matter. Everything that we do ought to be done as for the Lord. Um, and, and it's not because he's waiting to catch us and reprimand us. It's, it's not this, well, the boss might not be watching, but God is, right? I mean, it's not that kind of an attitude that Paul's getting at here. Paul says it's because God is waiting to give us an inheritance. I mean, that's very different. It's not about reprimanding. It's about rewarding. It's about an inheritance. The, the work that we do as unto God will be rewarded, according to Paul. Now, that, that, that doesn't mean the reward's always going to come in this life. Um, there may be situations where, where we might be fired for acting with integrity rather than padding the bottom line, or we might lose a promotion because we didn't backstab someone in the office. Uh, but as Paul says, if you work heartily for the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward will receive that inheritance. And, and Paul's not, he's not just trying to be a motivational speaker right here. <laughs> he's not just trying to increase the productivity of, of servants or of, of employees. He's just simply speaking the truth. He's saying, if we walk in Christ, we're going to do whatever we do as for the Lord. And again, this, this is radical, what Paul says, because he speaks to masters too. And, and in our setting today, we'd say, well, he's speaking to employers or bosses or, or supervisors as well. Um, they are to treat their, their bondservants, their employees, justly and fairly, knowing that they have a master in heaven to whom they, they will give an account. So we cannot walk in Christ and abuse those working for us, whether that's through very long hours or through unfair pay. Um, we cannot, cannot ask them to sacrifice their family relationships for the sake of our business. We can't ask them to act deceitfully in order to bolster revenue. That, that is not walking in Christ in this situation. None of that would be fitting for an employer or a boss who is, who is a new creation in Christ. And, and it wasn't fitting for masters then either, according to Paul. Even though at that time, masters held unchecked power over their servants. I mean, that, that was just the reality at that time. But Paul says, no, no, masters, you will give an account to God. And so you ought to treat those in service under you Accordingly, And again, I think we can apply that today to, to bosses, employers as well. And then finally, the, the uh, last relationship that, that Paul addresses would be the relationships of believers, both with those in the church and those outside of the church. So look with me at chapter 4, verse 2 where Paul speaks about this. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. <clears throat> so Paul kind of moves outside of the household here, um, but he's still speaking to the church family in this passage. So regarding those who are in the church, the believers ought to be continuing steadfastly in prayer for one another. And, and Paul asks them to pray for him as well. He wasn't someone in their local church, but he was part of the larger body of Christ. So Paul isn't just speaking about, this is how we treat everyone in the room here, but how we treat believers in the body of Christ. And, and one of the callings as a church family, as a body of Christ, is to be praying for one another. So praying that opportunities for the gospel would be given. Uh, praying for the various needs that, uh, that believers may have. Uh, praying that we'd be living according to the new self that we've been given in Christ, as, as Paul has been going through in these chapters. And in this, I think in this calling to pray, we have to hear the calling to, to open ourselves to one another. I think that's inherent in what Paul's saying here. Uh, we can always pray in a general sense, for each other. Um, but we ought to be, be sharing our lives with one another in such a way that, that we allow our fellow brothers and sisters to pray specifically for us. Um, and and that, I don't think that always means sharing everything with the entire church in every single situation. I mean, there could be times for that, but, but I think it does mean making sure that we are transparent with at least someone at least someone in the church body so that they can be praying with us and for us in a more specific kind of way. And, and our American church culture is one that skews toward individual spirituality. It, it just does. That, that's the cultural soup in which we've been raised. Uh, but that was never the intention for the church body. Uh, it was not. The church was always meant to be a place where People didn't just congregate together, but, but opened themselves up to one another. And so I think we have to, to hear that calling in Paul's words to be, to be in prayer for one another. So that's relationships within the church. Paul also called believers to act in a certain way towards those outside of the church. He says those, those interactions are to be marked with wisdom. Um, they're to be marked with grace. And, and while Paul doesn't overtly say it here, uh, the sense is that wisdom and grace will then help the gospel to be better received by those outside the church. And, and, and as I look at the church today, um, and, and I'm, not, I'm not singling out our church, I'm saying the, the American church is the one I'm most familiar with. When I look at the church today, I think it's, become very loud in recent years. Um, and there's probably lots of reasons for that. I, I think due to the ease with which words can be publicly broadcast through the internet and, and text messages and other things, uh, wisdom is too often lacking in some of the things that we say, um, towards outsiders especially. Our, our words are too often lacking grace. They're not seasoned with salt as Paul would say here. And I was, I was trying to think about maybe an analogy to, to kind of help grasp that a bit. And 
I like grilling, so grilling came to mind. You know, when it comes to grilling meat, I mean, picture the, uh, whatever kind of meat you like, picture the, the best cut of meat according to you, whether that's a steak or a slab of ribs or pork chop or whatever. Picture that, that, that uh, cut of meat that might be perfect in every way and, and holds the potential to be an awesome feast. But if that cut of meat is not prepared and, and seasoned and cooked properly, no one's going to want to eat it. I mean, you could take that cut of meat and burn it to a crisp. Maybe some of us in here like it that way, but for me, I don't. So if it was prepared that way, I would not want it. I think too often as Christians, we, we treat the gospel that way. I mean, we, we, we have the most wonderful message available. I mean, it has the potential to transform lives in amazing ways, but if that message is not presented with wisdom and it's not presented with grace and seasoned in the right way, no one's going to want it, right? Like that cut of meat, it might be, it might be fabulous in what it is, but if we're, not, if we're not including the grace and the wisdom and seasoning it with salt, no one's going to want it. And so as we walk with Christ, we have to receive from Christ that wisdom, that grace needed as we interact with outsiders, especially with outsiders that might be hostile towards us, that might be looking to pick a fight in, in a way or another, but to still continue to have that, that grace and that wisdom. Um, I want to I want to close today by 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 framing this whole discussion um, in in a certain way. I want to compare it to the last uh, fifty years or so of American history. Um, I didn't live through the 1960s, uh, but I've been able to read a bit about the 1960s. Um, and it's not uncommon to see people describing uh, the events of that decade as tumultuous. So, so the events of the 1960s include things like the Vietnam War, um, civil rights protests, Cuban Missile Crisis, um, assassinations, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., um, Senator Robert Kennedy. It, it was a decade that, that was marked by, really by a growing divide among the American population and a growing unrest by those who felt um, mistreated, unheard, oppressed in, in any kind of ways. And towards the end of the 1960s, it, it, was, it was beginning to be apparent to, to some that the current trajectory of things was, was not going to lead them to the desired destination. So, so the radical ideas of the counterculture at that time had gained notoriety, and they had gained popularity, but the methods used to promote those ideas were not bringing about the lasting change that some hoped that they would. And towards the end of the 60s, they were starting to recognize that. And so it was at that time that a new strategy was put forth. And so there was a, there was a young German man um, named Rudi Dutschke, and, and he was in Germany, but, but observing all that was taking place in America, and he was engaged in his, in his own protests in Germany at the time. Uh, but Dutschke proposed not violence and strong-armed tactics 
to, to spread those new ideas. But what he called a long march through the institutions of power. Now maybe you've heard that phrase before, a long march through the institutions of power. So in other words, rather than rioting, rather than protesting, rather than, than forcing ideas upon the masses, he suggested a slower, but what he thought would be much more effective way by infiltrating the institutions of power. And so within America at that time, that would have amounted to the universities, uh, the media, um, entertainment, which, which was primarily Hollywood at that point. Um, so the 1960s ended with this call for a long march through those institutions. And 50 or so years later, here we are, and, and I would say that the ideas and principles which began at the beginning of that long march through those institutions of power, that they have firmly found their way into the broader culture of our country. Um, and, and granted, uh, Dutschke was sympathetic to communism and communist ideas, and, and those were the ideas that he sought to see propagated within his own country. Um, uh, we don't have to agree with his ideas to see that his method did prove successful. I mean, we can look back 50 years, um, 50 years later and say that was a successful method, what he suggested. But I want to I suggest this morning that, that uh, Dutschke's um, suggestion of a long march was not his own idea. And, and I want to make a connection this morning to both the shared language and the shared methods that Dutschke and Paul used here, even though their ideologies were vastly different. There's no question about that. But the language and the methods, I think, are, are very similar. Uh, you know, whether he knew it or not, I, I was reading up a bit about Dutschke, and he was raised in, in a Lutheran context, so maybe, maybe that's kind of where he got some of this, but, but uh, what he suggested was given to us by Paul nearly 2,000 years before that. Dutschke suggested a long march. Paul phrased it here, walking with Christ. Walking with Christ. Dutschke uh, suggested targeting the institutions of power. I think what we see here in Colossians 3 and 4 is that Paul focused on the daily relationships in our lives. Husbands, wives, parents, children, servants, masters, those relationships in the church and outside the church. And so I, I think we can ask ourselves, you know, are we, are we frustrated or are, are we saddened by the fact that, that our current culture is not very reflective of God's kingdom? That's probably a rhetorical question. I think we'd all say, yes, we're, we're frustrated and saddened by that. Um, we can try to force God's kingdom by taking over our government. Um, we can try to force God's kingdom by shouting our demands all over the, the neighborhoods and airwaves and internet. Um, we can try to force God's kingdom by rallying the troops to battle against anyone who would oppose us. Um, but I think we ought to remember that the 1960s proved that those methods weren't real successful in the long term. There was a shift of method that took place at the end of that decade. And it, this is not to say that Christians should completely disengage from civil discourse and public office and things like that. I, I'm not at all saying that. We, we need men and women infiltrating our cultural and, and governmental institutions with the gospel message. We need that. But the church as a whole, I would say, 
is called to something much more broad and, and I think much more effective even than that. And I think what we need is to see God's kingdom spread on earth by taking a long walk in Christ. Not a long walk through the institutions of power, but a long walk in Christ. Husbands and wives relating to one another as they walk in Christ. Parents and children relating to one another as they walk in Christ. Um, employers, employees relating to one another as they walk in Christ. The church body relating to other believers and non-believers as they walk in Christ. And we're looking back 50 years, right, to the end of the 60s from now. So 50 years is quite a while. And uh, it's so tempting to want to change the world all at once, to bring God's kingdom upon our, our culture and our world all at once. Um, but I would say I don't think you and I are called to that in Christ. I think we're called to, to humbly and, and unglamorously and slowly live as those who've been raised with Christ, this long walk in Christ. And, and as Paul shows here, it starts in our homes, our daily relationships, before it goes anywhere else. And if we're honest, if we do that for the next 50 years, most of us here aren't going to see the full fruit of that. I mean, we just won't. Right? And so that's why it can be tempting to say, oh boy, I don't know. That sounds like a big calling, a long calling. That, that's not fast enough for me. But it works. <laughs> it's the method that, again, Dutch Key, we don't agree with his ideologies, but it's the method that worked. And I think it's the method here that Paul shows us. It's walking in Christ in our daily relationships. And I think you see that in Jesus in his life as well. There were times where they wanted to force him to bring about revolution, to bring about change. And, and Jesus opted for a different path. He ultimately sacrificed himself. So will we, will we take a long walk? That's really the question. We're going to take a long walk in Christ in our daily relationships and, and see what might happen. And again, it's not about... It's not like the coming of God's kingdom rests solely on our shoulders. His kingdom is going to come regardless. Jesus will return. He's going to bring his kingdom fully. That's going to happen. He's promised it will. We can have faith in that. But we're called to live in that promise, to look forward to that promise, to walk toward that promise. And I think we do it in our daily lives. I think that's what Paul leads us to here. Um, and as Paul leads us to emulate Christ, to walk in Christ. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's come to God and, um, and ask for the empowerment and the, the wisdom that we need, really, to carry that out in our lives. God, we come to you this morning, and again, just in thinking specifically over the first two chapters of Colossians, we are... We are so appreciative. We are so, um, we humble ourselves before you because of your work within us. Uh, we know that with, without you, without your power, without your love, without your sacrifice, uh, we, are, uh, we are lost. We are hopeless. And so we praise you for the work that you've done. God, but we also recognize that you call us to walk in you. You empower us to walk in you. Uh, you give us wisdom in what that looks like. And 
God, we want to commit ourselves to that this morning. That in our daily relationships, we would, we would live this out. And if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm being honest, those are the hardest places to do it. But would you give us what we need to, to take that long walk with you? To live as those who've, who've been made new, been made as a new creation. God, I thank you that there is um, incredible hope in you. There, there's hope for us as individuals to, to put off the things that need to be put off, to put on the things that we should put on in you. <clears throat> but there's hope for our world as well, that your kingdom is coming, uh, that we will eventually live in eternity in the full revelation of that kingdom. Things will be made right once again, and we won't struggle with these things that we've talked about this morning. God, so we praise you for that. We, we even ask that you would speed its coming, that you would bring the restoration uh, to creation that it needs. God, as we take time to focus on you in, in song, as we close our time to worship you through singing, um, would you continue to, to turn our minds towards you, help us to focus on you, uh, and to truly desire to walk in the new self that you've created within us. God, we give you praise and thanks this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.